1973, Frank Williams, after a long day of work, crawled underneath his Kentucky family home, a cabin that was built on the hillside with posts underneath. In the Williams community, Saul, Kentucky, it was a land of moonshiners and bootleggers, so any repair that had to be done to a home had to be done by Frank because the entire community was just too poor and he would have to hire it out. So trying to level the house, Frank accidentally ruptures a gas pipe, sets off an explosion, and the house comes crashing down on top of him as it begins to burn. Letha, Frank's wife and the mother of five children, somehow manages to get all of those kids out of the house without injury, but at the cost of her own safety. The mother who sacrificed herself for the children was so severely burned that she later dies at the hospital. Both parents are gone. Five children, now orphaned, are scattered among relatives and adoptive parents because no one could take all five of them. Good morning. My name is Sam. I'm honored to be speaking with you this morning. And today we're continuing our series, our Advent series called Jubilee. We're looking at the remarkable events found in the book of Leviticus that describes a time in Israel where every 50 years wrongs were righted, land was returned, and servitude was abolished. And it's part of the Jewish law. That strikes me as funny. You know, normally we think of laws as like bad or constricting, but in this case, there are plenty of laws in the Bible that display the heart of God, the heart of love heart of grace, and the desire to bring us freedom. So in the second part of Leviticus 25, we see laws regarding the return of land to those who have lost it for some reason. Now back then, land was everything. Literally, it was livelihood. It was your source of food. It's where all of your family members resided. Removal of that land was essentially the disillusion of the family. In fact, Jewish people, even to this day, use the term, the people of the land. In Hebrew, amharetz. Originally, this meant someone who took pride in their land, a national patriot in a way. But since then, it's become to mean people who live in the country and, and, and uh, reside there, kind of like Frank and Letha Williams were in Kentucky. So to the Israelites, land mattered. Today, we would translate that maybe as more of a modern understanding of family roots or family lineage or or heritage, knowing your family, loving your family, family working together, living together, sharing life together until something destroys what you've known as family, like in the Williams case. So back to our story. The Williams had lost their land. They had lost their family, and they began to lose each other. The Williams children were spread out all over the place. Dina, the oldest sister, stayed with her grandmother in Kentucky. Frank Jr., uh, the only son, went to live with his uncle in Ohio. And the three younger girls, Becca and Tessie, uh, Tessa and Raylene, went into foster care. Tessa has this faint memory of her baby sister, Raylene being taken away while she cries and reaches out for her. And that image would stay with her and it would haunt her for years and years and years. So on that memory, on that image, as an adult, Tessa began to dig. She began to look for her siblings. She began to search old records, posting on social media. Slowly, three of the four other siblings found her. 
the older two, Frank and Dina, posted an ad in the newspaper looking for sisters named Tessa and Becky, and they found each other. And all the four siblings came together and spent a long weekend getting reacquainted with each other. And on that weekend, for the first time, Tessa sees an old family photo of her parents and all the siblings together. But there was a heartbreaking reality in that photo that no one knew about as well. The siblings discovered that their mother was pregnant with a sixth child at the time she saved them from that house fire. It was just too much to bear. And though she had found her other siblings, Tessa just, she stopped searching for her little baby sister, Raylene. She just could not handle the, the disappointment of what that would be like. Starting in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23, God tells us how the Israelites um, were to handle the reunification of families and their inherited land. Right off the bat, God tells everyone that no land can be sold permanently since it all belongs to him anyway. There's a good, good sermon right there alone in that part. But then he goes further. He says, if life takes a bad turn for someone and they have to sell that property, that family land to make ends meet, a relative can buy it. Maybe someone else can buy it. And if they can purchase back that land, the law says they must be allowed to do so. But what happens if you can never purchase it back? What happens if your whole world collapses around you like the Williams burning home did? Well, in that year of Jubilee, the 50th year, that land is returned to the family and their descendants can settle on that family land once again, no questions asked. And remember, this family land was their inheritance. It was their birthright by name, regardless of what scattered them in the first place. They could all come back. So what does that tell us about loss? Well, it says that nothing is really lost for too long. There's redemption. There's relief. There's joy in being reunited with your family or your family's heritage. So let's take a second. Let's play a game of pretend here, and let's pretend that the losses that you and your family have sustained aren't forever. Let's pretend that 50 years from now, the destruction that you may have faced, the cycle that you find in your family that's repeated, that's destructive, is healed. Life goes up and down, right? It does for everyone. Sometimes it goes way down, much further than we think it could go. And if there's no faith to sustain us at those points, then there's this sense of dread at the permanence of your faith, that nothing will ever change. It'll feel like you'll never recover. And that's when you go to God's word and he tells you that there's jubilee for you, for me, for all of us, and for our situation. Now, here's a little personal advice that I've learned along the way. When you're down and out, your feelings about a situation rarely tell you the reality of what's happening. It feels very, very real, but it's not always the best representation of what's happening. Yes, any good counselor will tell you to feel your feelings. There's nothing wrong with that. You should identify with how you feel about a situation, but then don't let those feelings lead you. 
Don't let those feelings dictate your next move. They will never lead you towards the redemption that you seek. All they will do is mirror the despondency that you feel. It's like that old saying, if you've never heard it before, never respond when you're angry, never overpromise or promise anything when you're happy, and then never make a decision when you're sad. Because in those moments, those feelings will cloud your judgment as to the best way to move forward. So how do you get out of that depressive, cynical, despondent cycle that keeps you from moving forward? Well, there's, there's different ways, but I'll tell you um, how I got through that. When I was in a rough spot a while back, I could not tell which way was up or down. I had no idea. It was like I was in some type of house of mirrors where every time I turned around, the same problem stared me in the face. So I reached out to three specific friends, three friends, friends I had known for a long time, Friends I knew who loved God and who were stable in their faith and in their personal lives. Friends that I knew that loved me. And I made them my lifeline. I called them all the time. Many times in tears. All three friends had been through what I was presently going through in that moment. And they all told me the same thing. That I was going to be okay. And you know what? I didn't believe them. I didn't believe them at all. At first, I thought they were out of their minds to even say that to me. So I called them the next day, and they told me the exact same thing. You're going to be okay. And then I called them the day after that and the day after that. Every time, because they had been through the same thing, they could tell me why I felt the way I did, and then they could point to their own lives to show me that things actually would be okay for me as well. My friends were long-standing friends, but sometimes God sends these type of friends to you to help you break that cycle just out of the blue, and that's what happened with the Williams family. So back to our story. So 15 years go by, Tessa buries herself in her uh, own family life and the raising of her own children, but the desire to find that final sibling never goes away. So she puts a post on social media to help for, to find her, her baby sister. After a few days, a message from a lady named Charlene shows up in her inbox. Charlene is from uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, just out of the blue, miles and miles away from anyone else related to this story. But she calls herself a search angel. That's her own, her own term. She helps people find loved ones as a hobby on her own time and at her own expense. Tessa, when she talks to Charlene through, uh, the, through some messages, thought that she was crazy, thought she was a fraud, and she blocks her. <laughs> so, but Charlene doesn't give up. She blind writes one of Tessa's other social media friends, pleading her case to connect them so that the friend could reach out to Tessa and hopefully connect Tessa and Charlene, and it works. And so Tessa decides to hear Charlene out. So Charlene begins to dig into old records, to search out leads, to find that final sibling. Now, Charlene had no reason to help the Williams family at all. Struggling mom of three children with just a little bit of income, she described herself as dirt poor. So she really didn't have anything to gain out of this other than she honestly just wanted to help. And she did. She tracked down several adopted women named Raylene that agreed to meet with Tessa 
to share stories to see if they fit and submit to a DNA test. Every one of them came back negative. And Tessa was already so tired, this basically put her over the edge. She was devastated and didn't want to move forward. But Charlene refused to give up. She continued to work on it like the search angel that she was. She went right back to it. The Bible picks up on this theme about returning what was lost or the idea of a homecoming over and over and over, not just in Leviticus 20, uh, 25, but throughout the entire Bible. It's a constant theme. So, so is the idea of being reunited with lost family or an inheritance. God finds a way to remind us that no matter how far we've strayed or how far um, how much we are estranged from him, or at least feel that way. He wants us to come home to him. Obviously, parables like the prodigal son make that point. But more importantly, the Bible picks up on the theme of inheritance. Or as Paul in Romans eight seventeen says, that we are all co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We are part of God's family. And we have access to that inheritance as part of God's family. We always have. Listen to this passage. It's a beautiful passage. It says, God's spirit touches our spirits to confirm who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. And we know what's, uh, going to, uh, what's coming to us. It's not punishment. It's not anger. Paul says it's an unbelievable inheritance, an unbelievable inheritance. The passage keeps going. It says, if we go through the hard times with God, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with God. Have you ever thought of Jesus as your big brother? Have you ever thought of yourself as Jesus's little sibling? And your big brother, Jesus, goes out searching for you and desperately wants to bring you home. You may not even know that you're lost. For the nation of Israel, Jubilee was a 50-year event, every 50 years. But in Christ, Jubilee is an everyday occurrence. Family reunion is something that happens every day. And Jesus made sure of that, not only with the advent of his coming, but with his death and with his resurrection. And in John chapter 10, he tells us what his goal is. He describes us having an abundant life. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that your life will be perfect because nobody's life is perfect. What it does mean is that your life in Christ will be full and it will be meaningful. In fact, the word saved that we use to describe how we are in relation to Christ in the Greek is not just about going to heaven one day, though that's certainly a good thing, right? It's not just about going to heaven. The word literally means wholeness and completeness. That what was broken or destroyed is being healed and restored. It's being put back together and made completely new. And at the core of that is being reunited with our divine family in the work of Jesus. So back to our story. Charlene the search angel finds another Raylene. 
but the first name was actually Ray Lynn, and this lady only goes by Lynn. So it's a little bit of a long shot, right? It's not exactly the same. doesn't match up perfectly. But this lady actually lives right down the road from us in Gainesville, Florida. It took a little bit of convincing because Tessa is just very tired of searching for her little sister. But Charlene persuades the two potential sisters to talk to each other. And as they compare stories, there were so many similarities that Lynn agrees to take a DNA test. And guess what? She's the lost sister. It was a match. Tessa and Lynn finally see each other again face-to-face for the first time in 40 years. They didn't quite make it to the 50-year jubilee mark, but 40 years will do. The family was fully reunited. The bond was instant. These photos are from the moment that those two sisters meet. Look at the joy, the happiness on their faces. They found each other. They found their family. Tessa said, the older sister says, it's like your best friend who you go a few months without talking to and then you get together and it's like no time has passed at all because you're family. The older brother, Frank Jr., eventually shows up a few hours later at this reunion and Lynn embraces her big brother for the first time and she sees the similarities in his face and in his ruddy complexion that is the same as her own son. And she says, now I know what my son will look like when he grows up. It's a beautiful story of reconnecting with family. Lynn eventually makes that same trip that the other four siblings had made back to Saul, Kentucky. And, they, and she visits the graveside of the man who died trying to provide and protect his family and the mother who sacrificed herself saving those siblings from that horrible fire in 1973. And she said, I feel complete now, knowing where I was born and where my parents are buried, she said. I'm proud of the fact that we all found our way back to each other after 40 years. It's the homecoming that everyone dreams about and that God dreams about for each of us. The Advent season is about the coming of Christ. It's about our big brother bursting onto the scene and announcing that he's here to get the family back together. Some people recognize themselves in the face of Jesus and others have taken a different name and others aren't even sure that they're really even a part of the family. But Jesus continues over and over to try to convince us that we are heirs. We are part of the family of Almighty God and we're adopted into that divine family because of what Jesus did in the cross and the resurrection. And for those who embrace that beautiful reality, waves of joy wash over us. It's so good to know, and it's such a good reality to live in. We have returned to our land. We have come home. As I light this candle of joy, let's think about that for a minute.
even in the midst of hardship and difficulty that life brings us, Christians have the opportunity to remember the beautiful story of experiencing our own jubilee, reuniting with our older brother who sacrificed himself for our salvation, for our wholeness, for our completeness. But unlike the laws of jubilee that require us to wait for 50 years or the excruciating amount of time that the Williams had to wait over 40 years, God gives us our jubilee family every morning with our first waking moment. We are God's children. We are God's family, and we have been reunited with him. And the joy of that reality courses through our veins and gives us the wholeness and the completeness that we all look for, our home. Amen.